All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to episode 5 of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones and this is his story, which has become a part of my story. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I, I mean, just the whole dynamic of you, the way you grew up and the, you've never even been inside a courtroom. As far as I know, you've only got one traffic ticket that turned into eight. Well, I did go to a courtroom one time. When I did not realize my license was expired and I got pulled over for speeding. That was after we were married. Though. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was. the fact that you would give me a shot <laughs> based on my history because, you know, we didn't, I never kept any of that back from you. Well, that surprises even me. I'm not going to lie. I can't really explain that. Besides, I've always said that I've been attracted to good bad guys, <laughs> <laughs> meaning. You have just enough of edge and bad, but you're still really good. And so I think you are a really good guy. And I heard about your story about going to prison. Oh, wait, let me pause you. So good guys go to prison? <laughs> <laughs> well, you had a little edge, and that was far behind. I go, how, I guess that's, you got out of prison in, what, 20 years later we met? Uh, I got out in September of 1999. We met in November of 2012, so that would have been... Right at 13 years. Oh, 13 years. Ooh, see, I'm glad I didn't know it was only 13 years. I thought it was more like 15 to 20, which I thought was you, a pretty the, safe range. The, the 20 <laughs> that you're thinking of was when I committed my crimes. So. Oh, okay. So it had been 20 years since you committed your crimes. So, yes. So when I ceased to be a criminal, it was 20 years. Well, actually, no, because I was still a criminal for a little while when I went to prison. But regardless, you had 13 <laughs> good years under your belt out of prison. Yes, my record spoke for And myself. started a business. I mean, it was mm -hmm. a true redemption story that I was fascinated with. So, Well, actually, before I went on my first date with you, I called. I actually I texted him, and then he called me. But I called one of my mentors, and I said, this girl is beautiful. She's talented. She is everything that is out of my league. And... I don't, I'm scared. And he said, James, 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 don't you realize a woman like Haley, she's attracted to your story because of your story and where you've come from and the things that you've overcame? So I was like, maybe. I mean, it's either that or my six-pack abs. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, well. And just for the record, I don't have six-pack abs. <clears throat> I was attracted to, yes, you and your story and just, just it. It's 
nothing that I had ever experienced or known. <laughs> so um, one date, she's hooked. <laughs> Five months later, we're walking down the aisle to say I do. It's true. For life. True story. All right, on the last episode, we kind of ended it. I didn't really like the way that it ended. It kind of made me nervous about just uh, some of the talk, the way I said it. We ended on the best advice I was given, which was based on some guys that uh, would spend time with me and tell me, you know, what prison life was all about and basically how to handle myself and not really handle myself, how to how to survive, how to make it out. So this was advice given to you by someone who was in jail with you but had been in prison, and you said he was an older man? Multiple. This oh, was multiple, not, this okay. Was, this was not the advice of... of uh, they spent a lot of time mentoring me, getting me ready. I think it was because I was so young and I was so small and I was clean. Um, that's Clean? What do you mean by clean? Clean like I looked clean. You know, I had smooth skin and, you know, dark, silky hair. Those are... <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, you think about that when you're in high school. That's you know, that's a good thing. You know, girls always love my hair, love my skin. You know, oh, love your hair. Especially black girls, they would always say, "Let's have a baby together." <laughs> like, what? I don't want to have a baby. What? You don't have just let's, let's just have the baby. I want my baby to have good hair. So, anyways, I, I digress with that. But um, it's dangerous to go to prison and be. Not unattractive, I guess is the word I'm saying. And also, I was uh, not like a manly man. You know, I call my my son, Judah James, I call him my squishy because he has my body. And th- those are dangers of going to going to prison. Those those are things that are, that'll get you in trouble. So they were trying to get me ready. And there was the one older guy that gave me the three things I talked about that I kept with me the whole seven years I was gone. But he was what you would call, we called him old-timers. So an old-timer is somebody who started getting in trouble when they were kids, probably went to uh, juvenile, you know, got in trouble as little little kids, went to juvenile, got in trouble, got out, went back again. And then an old-timer basically is a, a person that's been in and out of prison their whole life. Does that make sense? Yeah. So somebody that's like in their 60s, like somebody that you might – because you're, you're a business coach, so you, you, you would listen to like business people or like your dad, who was a successful businessman. These were people, I, I guess you wouldn't call them successful, but maybe you would because they lived. I mean. They, oh, the irony. I mean, it's ironic, but I know what you mean. They, they had experience and their wisdom comes from experience. Yeah, and they made it through. They got out alive. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was the thing that I was worried the most about. And then also in, in talking about advice, I remember this after we got done with that the podcast last time. My dad actually gave me some very good advice. And I, I talk about how we were not connected and how he, he was not, you know, a big part of my life. But right before I went to prison, I called him and I told him, I said, look, I'm guilty of this thing. And there's no reason to keep fighting it. And I'm sick of being locked up in the county jail. I, I feel like I'm losing my mind. And they've offered me a six-year sentence. With the, I was actually two six-year sentences, but they round together, which means I would serve both six years at the same time with uh, 15 years probation and a load of restitution and all these fines and stuff when I got out. So I said, I think I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to be a convicted felon, but I've done this, so I, I've got to do what i got to do. And you could tell, like, he was crying on the other end, 
And he just said, uh, son, you hold your head up high. You set responsibility, take responsibility for what you've done. And I promise you, you'll come out of this a better man. And so, uh, wow, it was good advice from my dad. It's good advice. And also, I think it ended up being true. Yeah. You, you came out a better man for sure. Well, one thing. Or a man in general. One, yeah, because I was man. a baby when I yeah. was in prison. One thing I had an old, one of the old timers told me, he said, going to prison, it can make you bitter, it can make you better. And I was like, okay, that sounds like something on a greeting card. I mean, I don't really know what that means, like some Tony Robbins stuff. And he was like, no, no, you can go and you can be mad and you can hate every day. And you can learn. He said, you can learn how to do anything you want to do in prison because you're going to be with other criminals. Like this little county jail that you're in with these 15, 20 other guys is nothing compared to the thousand that you're going to be with when you get to your camp. So if you want to learn how to do crime, you can you can get bitter and get worse, or you can use this time to actually make something out of your life and get out and just never look back. And I remember at the time thinking, well, of course I want to get better. At that time, I didn't see the power to do anything different. Like, I felt like my fate was sealed, my life was sealed, and this was just going to be one of those things that I had to get through and just, I guess, see see what was on the other side. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then the day that I went to court to receive my prison sentence, this was not in Jefferson County. This was in Bay County. My mom and my Aunt Sue were there. That was a hard day to hear them say, you're sentenced to six years in the Florida Department of Corrections, 15 years probation, and then they gave me, gosh, I think it was like $25,000 worth of fines. So is this true? So that was in Bay County in Florida, that that was your sentence in Florida, but you're going to get another sentence in Alabama? Yes, but see, what they do when they, when you have, they called what we had a crime spree. So by this time, the feds had dropped their charges against us. That little kidnapping charge they gave me in Bay County, they changed that to false imprisonment, which was a lesser charge. And then they convicted me of a first-degree armed robbery, which is the top. You know, you can't get worse than that. But because I'd never been in trouble and because of my age, because I was under 21, they sentenced me as a youthful offender, which is something they do in the state of Florida. I'm not sure about other states. I think Georgia has a youthful offender program. Um, in Alabama, they do not. When you go to prison in Alabama, they warehouse you. They just lock you up, throw away the key, and you get out when the parole board says or when you EOS your sentence. What does that mean, EOS? <laughs> EOS means end of sentence. So there, there, oh. there's several ways to get out. You can get out when you're in your sentence. That's EOS. You can get out on parole, which is the parole board grants you release, but you still are technically serving your sentence, but you're doing it out here. And then... There's, you know, Florida had some early release stuff, and then Alabama really does not have that. And then you have a huge group of guys that get in the law books when they go to prison, and they just study, 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 and try to find some loophole. And there's a lot of guys that are successful at getting out of prison just by finding a loophole. Oh, wow. In their case. Or getting resentenced or, you know, whatever. Yeah. There's other ways to get out. Or you could escape, and then... then. You do that, and you're on the run for the rest of your life. So I didn't want that option. So let's go back to you mentioned last time the best advice you got was something about there were three (laughs) things. I don't remember the three things. What were the three things? The three things were, he said, if you want to survive, there's three things you got to do. Don't gamble. Don't borrow anything from anybody. And don't mess with sissies. 
Don't gamble, don't borrow, and don't mess with sissies. That was, now, the sissy thing, okay, so you had mentioned last time that a sissy, ref, like, and I guess in your mind, referred to someone who's gay. Well, it's not in my mind. That's what they call them. Okay, so my experience, though, growing up, I never, when you said sissy, that being gay or never even crossed my mind, I remember my dad used to use that term, you know, oh, don't be a, a sissy, which just yeah. means kind of like, don't be weak, don't be whiny, don't be a is what I would yeah, no, I get that. to it. That's not what that means okay. in prison. So <laughs> okay. I, I guess we could unpack that real quick. Yeah, sure. Also, the word boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up in Phoenix City. You know, all my cousins were my boys. What's up, boy? How you doing, boy? Okay. You all right, boy? A uh, boy in prison is something entirely different, and you can't say that. You can't refer to somebody else as a boy. You can't refer to yourself as a boy. I mean, well, what is it in You can if you want to be a boy. Let's just unpack that. The sissy thing. Mm-hmm. They called themselves sissies. They were active in sexual acts with other inmates, sometimes with the correctional officers or counselors. You know, I saw I saw a lot of that, more so in Alabama than I did in Florida. You mean they were not in a relationship, but I guess, or in a physical relationship of some sort? Yes. With the parole officers? Not parole, or, correctional officers. With the correctional officers, okay. Yeah, there's, that's quite... That was quite prevalent. I saw that three or four times when I was in Alabama. Wow. I, I never saw it when I was in Florida. Now, one of my cell partners when I was in Florida, he got caught having sex with a counselor, <laughs> and he got in a lot of trouble for that, and she got fired and got escorted off the compound by wow. four or five police. But anyways, that's that's another story. But a, going back to sissy. A sissy in prison is... is it's hard to it's hard to explain. It doesn't mean that they're gay, like gay people. Okay? okay, I knew a lot of gay people that were not sissies. Okay, so sissy. When I say it, it sounds derogatory, and I don't like that. And that's not what I mean. You know, because I'm not like homophobic or against anybody for their whatever they want to be or do. I feel like we're all free. We can do whatever we want to do. Ironically enough, when we get into like my fourth year of prison, sissy saved my life. When I got to Donaldson Correctional Facility and they wanted to make me into a boy, a sissy was the one that actually saved my life. Well, we still don't know what boy means. Okay, a sissy is a person who is uh, an inmate, who is homosexual, who is using their power or their abilities to gain influence and, you know, money, all things. Kind of like... A sissy's not much different from a prostitute, like somebody who, like, think of a female that's a prostitute. I mean, I don't know a prostitute. Anyways, this is, this is, I feel like this is spiraling out of control. Give me a bullet point of how you would define a sissy in prison. A sissy's somebody that put on makeup, dressed up like a girl, would shave their bodies. In prison they did this. Yes, make themselves look feminine. Um, Okay. They would take their t-shirts and make it into make it look like a uh like a bra or a you know like a, a bikini top they arch their eyebrows you know all things they're easy to spot like it was and what did what did they do i mean yes that, okay so that's what how they dressed and presented themselves what things did they do that was how they survived in prison okay that was how they got what they wanted they usually had multiple sex partners so they didn't have like one they were kind of, so they gave sex or did sexual acts to get things. 
Yeah, and to survive, and to survive. You keep saying survive, but I don't know what but, but, it takes to survive from what in to, prison? From getting killed, okay. uh, from getting killed, from getting abused, from getting uh, pulled into something you didn't want to be in, from getting your time jammed up, from getting you know more time, getting in trouble, staying in trouble. But basically, most people say that you know sissies run the prison because they have the most influence. They have influence with their inmates because... Whether you, I mean, like it or not, people, men or men, they have like sexual urges and they figure out a way to do, you know, get what they need. And well, I mean, this is a hard, this is it a is hard, hard one to talk about. It is about. hard. It is very hard to talk about. But then, but we want to note though, uh, when, when I said sissy, that does not mean like a blanket term for anybody that was gay. Okay. Because I, again, I know a lot of gay people that were not sissies. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. The next step to that would be a boy. Okay. So a boy is somebody who, like, he's scared. When he comes to prison, he's terrified that somebody's going to get him. He's scared to death. A boy is somebody who will connect with somebody who's stronger than him that protects him. And in return for that, there's like sexual favors and things that go on with that. But honestly, the, the, the boy thing was more like a relationship. So if a man had a boy or a boy had a man... So, or if a sissy had a man, sissies didn't. No, sissies, sissies were like their own. Okay, they ran themselves. Sissies had multiple men's. So a boy would connect to, and I'm doing quote unquote. A boy would connect to a quote unquote man in prison to be able to protect him, but and he had to pay for that essentially. Yes, and then, but usually they ended up being like cell partners together forever. You know. Like almost like a marriage relationship. Were they allowed to do that? I mean, well, that's the thing. And when I went to prison in Florida, I told you Florida Department of Corrections more militant, like more like the military. That was against the law. Like you didn't do that. You don't get caught doing it. Matter of fact, don't even get caught. You know, like touching yourself or doing any any kind of masturbation or anything like that. There was like disciplinary rules against that. So if you got engaged in any of that stuff and you got caught doing it, then you got in trouble. Does that make sense? Yeah. But at the same time, it's not like they're watching you 24-7. You are in another world. And you had like a dorm officer, like there was four pods in a dorm, one officer, you know, so they they couldn't be everywhere all the time. So there was ways to, to get around, you know, doing drugs, doing sex, doing tattoos, doing, you know, whatever you needed to do. But in Florida, it was against the law. Like you, you couldn't, it was not accepted, even though there were a lot of sissies. But in Alabama, it was just kind of, you know, the administration, the warden, the, you know, all the people, they kind of just saw that as this is how this is how we keep control in our institution. Just let them do whatever they want to do. It is interesting because as you're talking, it's something we mentioned before, but that prison is its own culture or subculture where these things exist, which is different than how you've explained jail to this point. Yeah, jail was just hard time to just sit in there. Right, and, and you, then prison it, becomes like people's lives. It's it, their whole life, and yes. so therefore they— it's, it's, it's different. Like, if think of it like this. The first prison that I went to after I went through the reception center, I was there for three years, and I never left that. Uh, it was probably like 30 acres, 
Like, I never left that 30 acres. I never got in a car. I never went anywhere. That's in Florida? Uh-huh. The first time you went to prison was in Florida? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the same in uh, Alabama. And you were supposed to be there a lot longer. Yes. And I guess there's men that's been there literally their 30 years or more. Uh, more than that. Um, when I went to prison in Florida, again, I was convicted under the Youthful Offender Act. So I was sent to a youthful offender camp. Not sure what they had now, but in those days there were four youthful offender camps. There was one Lancaster Brevard Correctional Institution and then uh, ACI. No, there was only three. So ACI was the one. You went to ACI if you went to one of the other ones and got in trouble. Then they would send you to ACI, and that was a, they call that a JIT camp. JIT was short for jitterbug. It's just somebody that just cuts up and just can't, can't do what they need to do. So they send you to the JIT camp. Lancaster was the best one. Brevard was supposedly the second best one. I got sent to Brevard, which was uh, Cocoa Beach, right below Orlando, very close to Cape Canaveral. <laughs> All well, those <laughs> things sound so fun, but not. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, but you still have radio, you have TV, you can see stuff. And then uh, one of the neatest things about being at BCI, that's what short for Brevard Correctional Institution, we call it a BCI. Being there is if you saw the, that was when we still had the space shuttle. If you mm-hmm. ever saw on the TV, they're fishing to launch the space shuttle, like you could watch the countdown and then run out in the field, and you could actually watch the space shuttle go into the sky and bust the atmosphere and all that stuff. So that oh, was wow. pretty cool. But I feel like we're... Uh, we're digressing, because we were talking about the the term and what it means to be a sissy, what it means to be a boy. And what it means to be a, like just a gay person. Right, yeah, and the differences between those. Okay. And coming back to the advice... But there was one more. Oh, what was the last one? The uh, hustlers. There were hustlers. Okay. What are hustlers? Hustlers kind of like a uh, male prostitute, similar to sissy, but not really, because most of the people that were hustlers were not. They didn't have any inclinations to be in to having sex with another man, but they did it for money, usually for money. What did they do for money? Whatever was required of them. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. Uh, but you're still talking about sexual acts. Yeah, they would put out. So they would do whatever's required in order to get what? 
to get usually it was cigarettes or coffee. That was okay. the, the biggest commodity. Wow, that seems like an expensive way to get coffee or cigarettes. Well, no, I was fortunate, and I had family that would send me money orders. So I got to go to the commissary every week. I would say seventy for seventy five percent of people in prison don't have that. Like nobody. Nobody sends them anything, no Christmas money, no boxes, no nothing. They didn't have anything. And I think part of that is when you're doing crime, you are, most of the time, you're you're hurting your people that you're closest to. And then it's kind of like they get locked up, they forget about them. Or either, you know, there were some people that just didn't have family. I, I knew one guy, he was a little bit younger than me. He His mom had died, his dad had died, and he was an orphan, so he had nothing. Like, he had no reason to uh, adjust to prison life, so he figured out how to to escape because he knew that um, he didn't have anything to lose because he didn't have a family, so he could change his identity and just go off and create a new life for himself, and he planned an escape for, like, two and a half years from that Youthful offender camp, and again, the youthful offender camp I was at was all young people with with short sentences. There was no long terms. I'm surprised you were a youthful offender when you were 20. Youthful offender is 24, 23, 24 and under in in the state of Florida. Oh, in Florida, it wasn't juvenile; it was youthful offender. So it just means you're young. We're going to try to get him on a like a path where he can redeem himself and. If that had been my only charge, I could have gotten out and filed for, you know, to get that expunged and all that stuff, but that wasn't that was not the case. Mm-hmm. But when I went to prison in Florida, that was a different I mean, and not in Florida. When I went to prison in Alabama, that was a different story. I met men there that had been locked up longer than I'd even been alive. And the difference was just very stark. But we'll get to that when we get to the prison part. But okay. I guess maybe just focus on you know, getting ready to go to prison. The so there's I four learned. things, but what sticks out to me that's so interesting. Not four things, three things. Well, no. Well, let me finish. The sissy, the boy, the hustler, and the, I would guess it was just three things. Okay, you're right. But anyway. Yeah, but again, I want to make clear that we're not being derogatory to anybody that's gay or homosexual. Right. No, I know. But it's, but it is like three different, I guess, roles or things roles that people took on well these were things for me as a kid getting ready to leave these are things i had to know because when you got caught up in that kind of stuff it was that was the people that got stabbed or beat down or got more time added on so that was one of the three things the other one was not to borrow anything from anybody right and not to gamble so which one of those you want to unpack gamble or borrow Gamble. So gambling could get you in a lot of trouble. Gambling could get you killed. People did, like, um, like we were allowed to play cards. We were allowed to have cards. We played a lot of cards, um, spades, you know, all, all the card games. But then there would be people that would have poker games, and then they would make chips. And then you get in a poker game, you don't have money. You're not throwing in money. But, like, if you lose, like, I owe you $50. $50 in prison is like $500 out here. It's a lot of money. And it's not easy to come by. And guys that gambled, they would get in there. Like, there was a, there was a game. Like, they would let them win the first couple of times. Kind of like when you go play the slot machine. 
Yeah. You know, you win the first couple of times, and then it would, like, hook them in. And then they would, like, keep playing, keep playing, trying to work themselves out of the hole. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, you know, I've known guys that ended up, like, owing $1,000 to somebody. And in prison, $1,000 is, like, $100,000 out here. So it's... um. It's a lot of money to try to come up with. So what happens if they can't pay it back? Then you may end up being somebody's boy. You may get a beat down. You know, there's no telling. Or you get in debt. And prison debt's different from, like, credit card debt. Actually, it's not. It's kind of the same. <laughs> so prison debt is like you owe me $50. If you don't have it to me by next Friday, you know, it's like a weekly thing. Then now you owe me $100. So it like doubled up. Uh-huh. One of the, I guess probably the most traumatic times I ever had in prison was um, I lived through a riot in 1995, I believe it was. And they were rioting over black and mild cigars because there was a, there was a thing in, in Florida that I didn't couldn't really participate in because I wasn't from Florida. So you had homeboys. They called them homeboys. So we have boys <laughs> and homeboys. No, homeboys okay. are different. <laughs> homeboys means I'm from Broward County. You're from Broward County. We're homeboys. Okay. And that did, that crossed uh, black, white, Latino. It didn't matter if you were from Broward County. You were homeboys. And then you had Dade County. You know, if you're from Dade County, they were homeboys. So that's Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Okay. That was the biggest rivalry in prison. The people from Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, hated the people from Miami and vice versa. Matter of fact, they used to write on walls. Like one of the funniest ones I ever saw on a wall, it said, cowards from Broward get sprayed in Dade. So it was like this gang mentality type thing, but it was based on your zip code kind of. It wasn't a like... I never saw a lot of, like, the gang stuff that they talk about on TV, like Bloods and Crips and all. I never saw that. I saw the the gang mentality with, like, the homeboys. Mm. And then later on, you know, in Alabama, it was different. It was more, like, centered around uh, what you identified as, you know, a Muslim or a five percenter or an atheist or a Christian identity or a white supremacist or a black supremacist and all that. But that was... uh, that was in Florida. I mean, that was in Alabama. But in Florida, it was basically based on where you came from. So the three, I don't know if they're the three biggest counties, but they were the three ones that gave us the most trouble was Broward County, Dade County, and then uh, Jacksonville. I can't believe I can't remember the name of Jacksonville's county. They were always fighting. They There was always some kind of conflict. And the biggest one I saw was centered around gambling. They would play basketball games and bet packs of cigars Black and mild cigars, because they sold those on the store, on the commissary. You could you could buy, like, cigarette cigars and what we called rip. <laughs> rip was, uh, like, tobacco in a pouch that you had to roll your own cigarette. We call that rip. That meant that's digging from the bottom. If you're smoking <laughs> rip, you ain't, you ain't doing too good. And if you were smoking, like, black and milds or a Newport, you were smoking a Cadillac. So anyways, they would gamble with the Cadillacs, and the Cadillacs were black and miles. And Jacksonville and Broward County, I believe it was, they got into some kind of tiff. One didn't pay the other. It kind of kicked off this fight that turned into a riot. And it ended up being, 
you know, people were coming out with swords because people would make their own knives and stuff like that. And it was a mess. I never saw anything like that. But they ended up, like, locking down the whole camp. Um, that's how they control when you're in prison. They just, you're locked down. So we sat on the bunk for, I think it was like six days. Like, you couldn't even get off the bunk. They'd let you up, like, twice a day to go pee. But there were no showers, fed you sack lunches. And it was until they got it figured out. And um, anyways, that was what I learned about gambling. Don't gamble. So don't mess with sissies. Don't gamble. And then the other one was uh, don't borrow stuff. So It's crazy to me how it seems like in prison, we've talked about this, it's like a different country or a subculture, but the same things are happening there that are happening outside in the free world. The free world. It just, I mean, there are different groups, and we call them different things, but they're still fighting and division and rioting, maybe for different reasons, but... Well, you want to know why? Tell me. Because they're humans. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I was thinking, I mean, because we're all humans. Mm -hmm. Criminals or not criminals or in prison or out of prison, we... We, We as humans tend to mess things up. Yeah, and naturally... But we also make things better, too. Divide so. ourselves into groups and subgroups. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very interesting. And the the last part of that was uh, not to uh, borrow anything from anybody. So the big thing in there was uh, people ran what they called stores. And by store, I don't mean the commissary like that where you actually spent your money that you had on your books. A prison store is usually comes from somebody who needs a hustle. I know you like talking about the hustle. Like, everybody in prison has a hustle. So I didn't know what a hustle was until I met you and you started talking about hustle. Like, oh, that was my hustle. Or what's your hustle? And I had no idea what you are talking about. So tell us what a hustle is. A hustle is a way that you make money or gain influence or, you know, whatever you need to do. My hustle was always food because I knew how to cook. Uh So that was always my hustle. Um, There were some guys that were not did not do well and they would wash people's underwear and socks to get cigarettes and you know so they were like that's sad I, I i didn't care how much i had i would never pay somebody to wash my drawers you know what i'm saying i just that just seemed low to me and i think some people did that just i to, would pay someone to wash my underwear not if not like this i mean it's different if you have like a laundry service or you're you know but usually in in prison it was as low as you could get but if they're getting something for it what did they get for it I usually cigarettes cuz people were addicted to tobacco and coffee and that was uh that was the biggest thing. You know, people want to smoke cigarettes and drink coffee, and they do all kind of things to get it. So really quick, how were you able to get food to even make food to make that your hustle? Oh, because I worked in the kitchen. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't really talked about that. So you had a job within prison? Yeah, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're talking okay. about preparing to get there. But a hustle, my hustle is always food. A person that runs a store is usually somebody who has a long sentence, and they don't have anybody supporting them on the outside, so they're trying to support themselves. So the way a, a prison store worked would be like, you know, Johnny, inmate, would fill his box up with soups and cigarettes and coffee, and then you could go to Johnny and you could get a bag of coffee from him if you if you were in between funds or if you were running low or whatever. But the next week, you had to pay him back too. 
So if you get a pack of cigarettes or coffee from him, you got to give him two the next week. And then if if it gets to like two weeks and you don't pay him, then you owe him four. And then if you don't pay him when you're on four, then you're on eight. And then all of a sudden you're in this big, deep, dark hole of debt. And it right. Was, it was kind of like a predatory, you know, like um, like those car places where they say, give me your title and I'll give you all this money. And then, you know, you can never get out from under that. Yeah. Kind of about here. But that was how that was how a lot of people made their that that was their livelihood. That's how they how they survived um, was by running stores. But if you ran a store, you had to be like uh, a gangster. Like running a store in prison was kind of like being a mafia person. You had to um, be willing to, uh, you know, rough somebody up if they didn't pay you. So, so that's why you don't borrow from somebody. No, you don't borrow stuff. You don't get in debt to anybody. You don't gamble, and you don't mess with sissies. So, did you? Take that advice hundred percent. Like, did you ever borrow anything from anybody in prison? Yeah, but it would be like you know you. It, it's kind of like a, uh, almost like a military like brotherhood type deal. Like you, you make a few friends, you know, you can trust, and then you can borrow stuff like that. But that's different. That's more like it didn't even really like borrowing because like if you have somebody like if you have a sale partner somebody that that you're friends and you you trust each other then what i have is yours and what you have is mine anyway so it didn't really matter so it wasn't really like borrowing per se so did you finish talking about the stores the prison stores the ones not the commissary but the other did you finish that well let let me like anchor us back on course we're talking about getting ready to go to prison and the advice I was given by the one old-timer. And then there was a lot of other, like, secondary advice, but that was the one I actually took with me, and, and I lived by that. That was my creed. Don't This is what you got to do. Um, there were a lot of little lessons that I learned along the way before I went. I would have people, like, I remember when I got transferred to Bay County, every time I went on a transfer, they would do a newspaper article about me. So when I got to Bay County, they did a newspaper article. You know, this these, this guy was in, you know, Monticello. They got charged with trying to shoot at the cop, and now he's getting booked into the Bay County jail because they did a robbery here. And I remember I was on the, the top floor with, like, the, the hard criminals, like, in Bay County because they, they were big enough to separate. And I just remember, like, this one guy— he was in the cell next to me. He read that in the newspaper, and he was like, oh, my God. Like, you're never going to get out of prison. Like, he was just, like, concerned for my welfare. Because, um, I mean, I was in a lot of trouble. And w- with that, you don't really – you know you're going to go to prison. You don't know where you're going to go to prison. I mean, we'll talk about all that later. They classify you different ways. So it could have went any kind of way for me. And there were a lot of guys that just – would spend time with me and want want to tell me, okay, this is what you got to do. If you do this, this is going to happen. If you do this, that's going to happen. So a lot of advice, um, most of it proved to be spot on once I got there. I mean, there was another one was that when you get to your permanent camp, first person that messes with you or tries you, they called it trying you. First person that tries you, you got to go upside their head. Go upside their head? Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) That means... If somebody messes with you, you pop them in the head, you know, do whatever you got to do. 
And the advice that I was given on that was, and I, I was told this by everybody, in prison it's not whether you can fight or you're big or strong or whatever. It's not that you can fight. It's whether or not you will fight. So if you wouldn't fight, then you would end up being somebody's bitch. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but, and if you would fight, it didn't matter how big you were, the people left you alone. So I had to do that at every camp I went to, except for the last one, I didn't do it. You didn't do what? I didn't, I'd never gotten a fight the last camp I was at, but I had had a change in my heart then, so things were different. But um, going in, like I had to, the first person that messed with me, I had to get in a fight, and it was painful, <laughs> but, but nobody, they didn't mess with me after that. Like, they, they have to know that you are, you know, don't mess with him, he'll fight you or whatever. Well, you talked about your first fight, how you your technique was to grab hair. So in this <laughs> one in prison, what did you do? Why did it hurt? This was a big guy, and he almost knocked me out. But we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay. I, I, let's stay on the advice, like we're we're doing the, you know, I'm on the lead up to getting there. I'm always very fascinated by the fights. I want to hear all about them. Well, I, but we'll honestly, get there. there weren't that many fights. It was, you know, I had three or four fights. That's three or four more than I've ever had in my whole life. <laughs> I remember Abby, <laughs> my Haley's sister, Abby, was fascinated with with um, my story, um, and so she she asked me one time, like, you got in like real fights, like where you hit, you hit. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> you got to do what you got to do, and that's it's a different it's a different world with different rules, different codes, different uh, different everything. So by the time I got to the sentence, I received my sentence, and the, the way that works is you go to court, you get sentenced to prison. There's usually a space of time between getting your prison sentence and going off to prison. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I had seen guys that were sitting in the county jail with me for four or five months waiting on, waiting to go to prison. And I just remembered after I got my sentence just thinking, like, how, gosh, that's, that's rough. Like, you know you're going to prison, you just don't know when because they don't tell you when because it's a security, you know, like a security risk thing. And... um Mine was like I got a sentence. It was like the middle of January. I got sentenced to six years in prison. And then I was expecting at least a month or two before I went anywhere. And, you know, they don't they don't tell you so that you can call your mom and say, hey, I'm going to prison tomorrow. They just kind of like uh, swoop you out because they have to, uh, you know, transfer you and stuff like that. And if you were like a real thug, like you could say, um, I'm going to prison on the 24th and, you know, blow up the bus and get me out, you know, bust me out. Is why they do that. Plus, an, another thing is you're waiting on a, a like space. Like you have to have, they have to have space for you to go to prison, and you don't go directly to where you will live. You go first to a reception center. So, in Alabama, the reception center is Kilby in Montgomery, outside of Montgomery, and Florida is such a bigger state, and they had so many more prisons. They actually had three reception centers. There's the North Florida Reception Center, Central and South Florida Reception Center. So I had to go through the I had to go to the North Florida Reception Center, which was Lake Butler, and I got a lot of prep for that because that's a whole different world. 
So I don't know what it means to go through a reception center. I know we've touched on this before, but what did that look like for you? A reception center is where they process you because you get convicted of a crime. Then you become like state property. Does that make sense? Okay. So in in Florida, there's, you know, 30 plus different camps that you could go to. So when they take you to a reception center, they're, they like do an evaluation of your mind and your crimes and you have a oh. classification officer. They also, you know, your health, you know, they do, they like give you a complete scan of all the circles of your being. They get to know you very well. Yes. And then from there, they decide where you go. So I was classified as a youthful offender. I knew I would go one of three camps which was uh, Brevard, Lancaster, or ACI. And ACI was for people with uh, behavior problems. They call that a JIT camp. So if you got in trouble, you went to ACI. I'd never gotten in trouble, so I knew I would either go to Lancaster or Brevard. You mean you had never gotten in trouble prior to the this arrest? No. I mean, I didn't get in trouble in jail. Like, after oh, I was okay. arrested. So you were obedient in jail. Yes. There, oh. there are, if you do what they tell you to do, you can keep a low profile and make it through, but if you are a disciplinary problem or you give them problems, then they can, you know, your life's already kind of like a living hell, but they can make it a living hell that you never, right? you know, and they will. There's like in every prison camp, there's jails inside of a jail. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like lockdown or yeah. solitary? Solitary comfort, lockdown. Yeah. There's They will figure out how to get you to do what they want you to do through their the ways that they do things. So part of going to reception center for probably not for all inmates or criminals or whatever you want to call them, us, is one part of that process is to break people down. And that was the part that scared me the most about going to prison was knowing that I was going to have to, just all the stories I'd heard about Lake Butler, it was the worst. One of the, according to most people that's been through the prison systems, that's one of the worst ones to go through in the country because they're, you know, Florida don't play when it comes to crime and punishment. They, uh, when you get ready to go in there, one of their prison systems, they will break you down until you understand we are in charge and you are nothing. So it was scary. I mean, I heard lots of stories. The biggest one I heard was, you know, don't, don't look at the officers and don't meet their eyes because, you know, they processed, you know, thousands a year. People come through there. What happens if you look at them? Then, then you, they'll holler at you. And, um, there's, there's a lot. And we'll, we'll get into that in the next episode when, we'll, when we get there. But just hearing from the other guys, some of the experiences they had going through Lake Butler, you know, basically, they will beat your ass. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta be ready. You gotta have your mind ready and right. And um, I think we're about to the end of this episode. Yeah, because we're getting way too into the prison, actual prison part. Yeah. So my little thing I thought was going to be a couple months before I went to prison actually ended up. You know, it was I think it was like a week and a day. They came and got me in the middle of the night and said. Um, pack it up. So a week and a day from the time you got sentenced? Yeah, it was very fast. Uh, still not sure why it was that fast. I've never, uh, most people, you know, it was two or three months, you know, 
I got my sentence and I was gone. Might have been because it was the first of the year. Or just... So you were given no warning? They literally came and got you in the middle of the night? Oh, yeah. You never get warnings when you're on transfer. The only thing you really know is you're in the sentence. That's the only thing you know. Um, you know, that's my day that I can be out of here. Like anything else, you know, parole, any of that stuff, transfers, you don't know. Um, and they can transfer you anytime they want to for any reason. They just decided we don't want him to be here anymore. We want him to be over there. They can move you. They can do that. You know, they do. you belong to them. You've given up your freedom. You don't have, I mean, you you have certain rights, but you don't have the rights that you have before prison. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I don't belong to me. Mama can't help me, you know. You don't belong to you? Is that what you said? No, you belong to them. Okay. Nobody cares what you think. They don't care what you think. Did we ask you what you think? We didn't tell you to come to prison to think. We came. We sent you to prison to get rehabilitated. So that's that world. But uh, we'll pick up with this uh, next time in Episode 6. I'll tell you about my little uh, middle-of-the-night trip to uh, Lake Butler, Florida. I look forward to that. <sighs> yeah, it was a doozy. Uh, you got anything you want to add? No. All right, well, stay tuned, guys, to uh, episode six, and we'll be going off to prison in the middle of the night. See you soon. Bye. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. For more, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Look up Straight Out of Prison podcast. Yes, we have pictures and people of things that we talk about during each episode. I have really loved being able to connect people and their faces and names and some other things that we've talked about on this platform. So straight out of prison podcast, Facebook and Instagram. And if you'd like to support our show, check out our website, teamjones.co.com slash podcast. Thanks guys. See you soon. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. That's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. <laughs> or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services.
Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keeley at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOES. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 